take us back The place we began The simple pursuit Of nothing but you The innocence of Take us back Oh God, take us back To an unswerving faith In the power of your name A heart beating for Your kingdom to reign A church that is known For your presence again God, take us back Well, good morning, church family. I am Barrett Bowden, lead pastor here at ICC, and it is wonderful to see everybody here this morning. I missed you guys last week. So grateful for Rob Hodum, who uh, taught uh, while I was away, but it is wonderful to be back together. First Samuel chapter 16 this morning, if you've got your Bibles, and I hope that you do. First Samuel chapter 16. And while you're turning there, I just want to say something really briefly. Um, I am really excited that in just a month, can y'all believe it's May? Where has this year gone? Uh, But in just a month, we are going to be able to kick off our summer season here at Island Community Church. And if you are part of our church already, or if maybe this morning you are uh, here visiting with us and looking for a new church home, I just want to tell you how excited I am about this upcoming summer. We are basically calling this summer a family reunion all summer long. And I am thrilled about it. I know y'all are as ready as us and, and our church's leadership as it relates to just wanting a time to get back to normal and a time to finally like be all together again as much as possible and to really seek the Lord together. And this summer, uh, we are very hopeful with the tra- trajectory of things in our community, in our state, and across the nation that we're going to have that opportunity. And y'all, y'all ready for it? Yeah. Uh, On Sundays, we're going to be simplifying and shortening our times of worship together for the main opportunity that in between our two services, our 9 a.m. and 11 a.m. service, we're going to have a party every Sunday that includes breakfast and coffee, we hope. Anybody excited? Yes. Um, And so we're really thrilled about that. And in our times together on Sundays, we're going to have opportunity to really talk about this new season that we believe God is bringing to our church family. There's a lot that we have learned in the pandemic, and we're really just believing that God is starting something new. And we're excited to be able to launch into a new season together as a church. And we'll be doing that together on Sundays. And then on Wednesday nights, all through the summer, all right, we're going old school. Anybody grow up in a church that went to church on Wednesday nights? Some of us did, some of us didn't. Okay, regardless of what you think is old school or not, what we've heard is we just need time as a church to be together. And so we are just planning Wednesday nights with the main intentionality of just providing a midweek space for the church to be together. We're going to be doing a little bit of teaching time, and it's not going to be us as pastors as much as it will be members of our church will be sharing from their own life a testimony of just what God is doing in this season in different spheres of, of life and ministry. But the main focus is 
We'll, we'll do that starting at 6 each week, but the main focus will really happen around 7 each week. We're going to close each week with a big dinner. And have, have you ever been to Laughlin Yard in Memphis? If you ever been to Laughlin Yard or any kind of outdoor space that's got tables and chairs and patio games and just lots of hangout space, we are going to be creating this entire West parking lot as an outdoor hangout space. So each Wednesday night, we'll be closing with dinner, and then the party will start, so to speak. And you can stay as long as you want to stay. And every single week, there's going to be unique things that are happening out here. It is going to be an awesome summer together. Is anybody excited about that? I am thrilled about it. And I just want to go and tell you to anticipate it with a lot of joy. Um, I think it's going to be meaningful for us, but it's also going to be really helpful for us in a lot of ways. And also, just so you know, and I promise I'm about to get to the Word. I don't usually do announcements at the start of the sermon, but I know that many of you have been asking us, when is it going to be possible for us to get back into doing something beyond ourselves? I'm tired of watching Netflix shows. Tired of just seeing the same group of people, and I'm really ready to serve And we know with many of our partners, for good reasons, they had to shut down a lot of opportunities for service because of COVID restrictions and things. But our partners are beginning to contact us again, and service opportunities are going to be coming back. And I'm so excited because I know so many of you are so eager and ready. Just this past week, the Glen Mary Retirement Home here in Midtown has opened up their doors to us again. And they are not just asking us to resume what we were doing. They are asking us to come back and really, like, blow up ministry like we've never seen there. Because most of the residents there, I've been teaching Bible study the last few Mondays since they've invited us back, most of them for the first time ever got out of their room when they came to Bible study that we taught on Monday a few weeks ago. They have, they are so ready for fellowship and now they're all vaccinated. And the old ladies and the old guys, they're ready. They're ready for us to come in. And so this is just one example But across the community, I believe we're going to see opportunities opening up like we have not seen in a long time. And it is time for us. It is, we are so excited to be able to this summer kind of get back into what it looks like to really operate as the church, the family of God as he intended to. I'm thrilled. I hope you'll be thrilled. More details will be coming in the coming weeks, but get ready. June is coming. This morning, 1 Samuel chapter 16 Uh, We're going back to our series, Kingdom Come, and we are talking through this wonderful historical book of the Bible, the transition from the time of judges to the time of kings. And right now in the story, we saw um, up to this point how the people kind of demanded a king, how God gave them a king in Saul, but then we saw in the last chapters how Saul rejected God. He rebelled against God. He didn't have a heart that was surrendered to God, but he turned in rejection of God. And because of that, the consequences came, and Saul forfeited his right to be the man that could lead the people according to the way of God. And God rejected Saul as king. And here in chapter 16, we're going to see a new work that God is doing by beginning the process of putting a man in place as the king of Israel, his people, who would have his heart. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, the title of today's message is this, Choice of God Seeking His Heart. The choice of God. If you want to know the kind of person that God chooses, we're going to find it here in 1 Samuel chapter 16. 
God is looking for the person who from their heart seeks Him. Choice of God seeking His heart. Now, the core truth for the day is this, before we get into the text. God looks on the heart, not outward appearances. With others and ourselves, we should incredibly excited about today's message. It is an incredibly important word for us to understand and to apply in our lives. And if you guys are looking for a relevant message from God's truth today, this passage, I believe, is going to speak right into where you are in your life. So 1 Samuel chapter 16, God looks on the heart, not outward appearances, and with others and ourselves, we should too. I'm going to start in verse 1, and I read from the English Standard Version. The Lord said to Samuel, How long will you grieve over Saul, since I have rejected him from being king over Israel? Fill your horn with oil, and go, and I will send you to Jesse the Bethlehemite, for I have provided for myself a king among his sons. And Samuel said, How can I go? If Saul hears it, he'll kill me. And the Lord said, Take a heifer with you and say, I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. And invite Jesse to the sacrifice, and I will show you what you shall do. And you shall anoint for me him whom I declare to you. Well, Samuel did what the Lord commanded and came to Bethlehem. The elders of the city came to meet him, trembling, and said, Do you come peaceably? And he said, Peaceably. I have come to sacrifice to the Lord. Consecrate yourselves and come with me to the sacrifice. And he consecrated Jesse and his sons and invited them to the sacrifice. Now, when they came, he looked on Eliab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed is before him. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, for I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Then Jesse called Abinadab and made him pass before Samuel. And he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. Then Jesse made Shema pass by and he said, neither has the Lord chosen this one. And Jesse made seven of his sons pass before Samuel. And Samuel said to Jesse, the Lord has not chosen these. Then Samuel said to Jesse, Are all of your sons here? And he said, There remains yet the youngest, but behold, he is keeping the sheep. And Samuel said to Jesse, Send and get him, for we will not sit down till he comes here. And he sent, and he brought him in. Now he was ready and had beautiful eyes and was handsome. And the Lord said, Arise, anoint him, for this is he. 
Then Samuel took the horn of oil and anointed him in the midst of his brothers. And the Spirit of the Lord rushed upon David from that day forward. And Samuel rose up and went to Ramah. Now the Spirit of the Lord departed Saul, and a harmful spirit from the Lord tormented him. And Saul's servant said to him, Behold now, a harmful spirit from God is tormenting you. Let our Lord now command your servants who are before you to to seek out a man who is skillful in, in playing the lyre. And when the harmful spirit from God is upon you, he will play it and, and you will be well. So Saul said to his servants, Provide for me a man who can play well and bring him to me. One of the young men answered, Behold, I have seen a son of Jesse, the Bethlehemite, who is skillful in playing, a man of valor, a man of war, prudent in speech, a man of good presence, and the Lord is with him. Therefore Saul sent messengers to Jesse and said, Send me David, your son, who is with the sheep. And Jesse took a donkey laden with bread and a skin of wine and a young goat and sent them by David his son to Saul. And David came to Saul and entered his service. And Saul loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. And Saul said to Jesse, saying, Let David remain in my service, for he has found favor in my sight. And whenever the harmful spirit from God was upon Saul, David took the lyre and played it with his hand. So Saul was refreshed and was well. And the harmful spirit departed him. This is God's word. The core verse for this morning is here in verses six and seven. You guys probably spotted it as we read the text. Have y'all ever heard this verse before? Some of you may have heard this verse, been familiar with it, may not have understood the context of it. But I want to read this verse together, the part that's underlined this morning, because here in this verse, we get provided an incredibly valuable, precious, important truth about God and about life that it is vital for each one of us to understand and apply personally in our life. So if y'all will, let's read it together. For the Lord sees not as man sees, Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Let's read it one more time together. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. Again, the core truth this morning is that God looks on the heart. Straight from this verse. God looks on the heart. Not the outward appearance. God doesn't see like other people see. God sees in a different way. He sees the heart. And with other people in our lives and with ourselves, we ought to be dedicated to grow in this area, to see like God sees. I want to start by just looking at the reality of this phrase, God looks on the heart. 
because I do think it's really important that you understand what the Bible teaches about God. The Bible teaches that God is a God who can look, can look upon your heart. I want to show you a couple of verses just where we see this all throughout the Scripture. This morning, I'll start with this verse in Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 10. You can write down the references of these. Hopefully, this morning, you'll have opportunity to take notes so that later you can go back and really study the Word of God. But the Word says this. God tells Jeremiah, I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. God proclaims about Himself. He's one that can cut through all the outward layers of our lives, and He can search to the very depth of who you are. He can test your mind, your thoughts. He knows you. Not the you that you put on for other people, but the real you. In 1 Chronicles chapter 28, verse 9, we have an echo of this that God teaches us here in the Scripture. You, Solomon, my son, know the God of your father and serve him with a whole heart and with a willing mind. For what? The Lord searches all hearts, and he understands every plan and every thought. In other words, again, we have an affirmation that God is a God who can look into the depths of a soul. He can look into the depths of who you are. He can understand the very things that you think, that you're planning, that you're feeling, the things that are really going on in you before you've told anyone else, before they're outwardly known in any way, God knows you. He searches the depths of who you are. In 2 Chronicles chapter 16, verse 9, we have another verse that is very interesting, and it echoes, again, this consistent truth of all the Scripture. It says, For the eyes of the Lord run to and fro throughout the whole earth to give strong support to those whose heart is blameless toward Him. I used to joke about my mama. She got eyes in the back of her head. Anybody ever say that phrase, right? Sometimes I've even threatened my daughters that way. Now I'm, I'm uh, falling into that dangerous parent trap, right? Threatening children. That's a wonderful way to parent. Um, just kidding. Sometimes it's, it's important, you know. But um, I was... I was joking last night. I was at dinner with a group of people, and uh, somebody, I was in a private conversation with somebody over here, and somebody from across the table, happened to be my mother-in-law, uh, she said, she just started butting into the conversation. She said, what were y'all talking about again? Y'all ever had that happen? And you're like, do you have radar ears or something? Like, that's kind of creepy, right? How did you hear that from way over there? Um, but the reality is, what we learn about God is that He does have eyes in the back of His head, so to speak. He does look at all times. He does hear at all times. He does know at all times and all things among all people. God is a God who knows the depth of every person's heart, including yours. So, we see this all throughout the Scripture. Uh, I'll give you one more verse just because there's more verses I could give than even just these, but I don't want to overwhelm you. I'm just trying to set up that a consistent truth in the Scripture is, is this about God. In the New Testament, Hebrews chapter 4, verse 13, it's a verse that I taught you guys back in the fall when we were going through the book of Hebrews together. 
And the, the verse says this, and no creature is hidden from his sight, but all are naked and exposed to the eyes of him to whom we must give account. In other words, though Adam and Eve might have tried to hide from God in the garden, it was going to be a pointless exercise because there's no person that can hide themselves from God. God sees all. He sees you. He knows everything about you. In fact, He sees you. The description, the best description we can think of in our human understanding is like we're naked. We're naked and exposed. In other words, there's nothing we can do to hide our real selves from God. And ultimately, we will give account to Him on the basis not of what other people think that we are, but who we really are in His eyes. You understand? This is the teaching of the Scripture. Now, there's a lot of conversation here about the heart, right? If you go back to the core truth and you look at the language, we've talked about God looks on the heart. And I guess one thing that's important based on the context of these verses is just to define the heart, right? What is the heart? Here's what we can say. The heart is your inner person. I think everybody, we all have an understanding that we're more than just our flesh and our blood. We're more than just matter and chemicals. Your person is more than your body. (laughs) You have a spirit. You have a soul. The real you, the inner person, that's, that's what we're talking about here. God looks upon your inner person, and He knows you, the real you. Uh, I don't have time to get into this a whole lot, but what I will tell you is I think most of us understand that in life, it is very easy to project to others a you that is not the real you. How many people know the real you? I don't know that, the answer to that question. But I do know that it is a common temptation in life to not let others see the real us. But the heart, when we talk about the heart, God looks upon the heart, we're talking about the real you, the you that's, that, that is you when nobody else is looking the real you. That's what we're talking about. God knows that you. And the heart in the Bible is is spoken of as the control center, so to speak, of all of your life. Everything flows out of this inner person, this this heart. That's why God says, you know, if you want to know how to fulfill all the commands, it it would be to, to love God with all of your heart. Because if you did that, if love consumed the inner person, the real you, the control center of your life, then everything that would flow out of that would be holy unto the Lord. It would be good and right because it would be out of a heart of love. God looks upon the heart. Now, in this story, 1 Samuel 16, it's a really interesting story, isn't it? Because here's Samuel, who I think thought that his ministry was over. I mean, he's already given his farewell speech. Y'all remember that in chapter 12? I don't think Samuel saw it coming. That I mean, it, it, verse 1 indicates to us here in chapter 16, verse 1, he's, you know, God's having to get a hold of Samuel's attention and say, why are you still 
upset about Saul. I don't think, I mean, it's incredibly grievous what the whole rejection of God that happened with Saul, his disobedience and his, his, his forfeiture of the opportunity to lead God's people according to God's heart. And Samuel is distraught. But here, God comes back to Samuel and he says, your, your job's not over, man. Um, I need you. I'm ready for you. I'm asking of you to go and we're, I'm going to show you what to do. But I am going to lead you to anoint the next king after Saul. And Samuel's obviously distraught because he's going, oh my word, here's a guy with total authority, all the military, and I'm going to go and undermine his leadership by anointing a king. What in the world? Don't you realize Saul Saul could kill me? And God gives him instructions of how to do it. But in this story, I think it's really interesting because God leads him to this family of Jesse And Samuel gets there, and he starts laying his eyes on the boys. And by looking at the guys, I'm looking out today. we got some good manly men here. And I'm looking out, and if you look at any crowd, right, and you were to pick out whether it's men or women, people who you think would be, you know, fit for leadership, you know, Samuel's looking at, at the boys, and he comes across one of the sons there, and look at that, verse 6. When, he, when they came, he looked on Eliab, and he thought, surely the Lord's anointed is before him. <laughs> so, he, he basically looks at a dude, and he's like, he's sizing that guy up, and he's like, that guy's the guy, like, for sure. Like, that's going to be, I just know it, that's him. But God has to rebuke Samuel and go, wait, wait, wait. Like, don't you look at these boys. Don't you go get ahead of me and start judging them on the basis of what you see in them from an outward appearance. And that's where we get this verse that is our core verse for the day. Verse 7. Do not Look on his appearance, on the stature, for the Lord rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but God looks upon the what? Upon the heart. So the first lesson for Samuel is this, and it's the first lesson for us today. We've got to understand that this applies to our relationship with others. This applies to our relationship with others. I think there's a slide for it, if you don't mind to bring it up. Perfect. That's the part here, and you go on to the next slide. With other people in our life, the the first lesson here is for Samuel. As he relates to other people in his life, namely as he's relating to these guys that are coming up who have potential, he knows it's going to be one of the sons, and he's looking at them, But God has to rebuke him because Samuel has fallen into the temptation that every single person in the whole world, including every person in this room, has fallen into, sizing up people by the way they look on the outside rather than judging the true character of their heart. And God has to say, Samuel, with other people, as you look at other people, something you need to understand is that you're looking at the outward appearance, but 
you're not looking like I'm looking. When I look at people, I'm not looking at outward appearance, Samuel. I'm looking at the heart. So the first application in our lives is the application that, the immediate application that Samuel had in this text, and that is with other people in our lives, we have to look at the heart and not at appearances. Not at appearances. Now, this is a consistent teaching all through the Scripture. For instance, in John chapter 7, verse 24, which is a chapter that speaks a lot about the need not to judge. In fact, verse 1 of this chapter, which is not the verse on the screen, says, judge not lest you be judged. By the same measure you judge, it will be measured to you. But here in verse 24, Jesus says, do not judge by appearances, but judge with a right judgment. In other words, what Jesus knows is true, and he was finding it to be the case with the Pharisees of the day. Uh, They were judging things by the way it looked on the outside, rather than having the heart and the eyes of God to look beyond what was going on on the outside to look at the heart of a person. That's what Jesus is describing would be a right judgment. Now, don't you know it's true in your life? Over and over and over again, we do not judge with a right judgment. We don't judge according to what God sees in the heart. We are so quick to judge by what we see on the outside. Just like Samuel, I believe all of us, if we were faced with a similar task of anointing the next king, we would all fall to the temptation that Samuel did looking at the outside rather than looking as God sees in the heart. We see why this is so important. Um, I think over and over and over, God, God is grieved by what sin has done to our minds and to our hearts and to our relationships with other people. He is grieved by the fact that we live in a day when people judge on the wrong basis of pretty much everything. One of the things that he did in sending his son Jesus was to give us an opportunity. In the gospel, there is an opportunity to experience restoration to the way things should be. And one of the things that God did in sending His Son Jesus, oh, He did many things in sending His Son Jesus, friends, okay? But one of the things that God did in sending His Son Jesus was to help us to see this lesson. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 2 through 4, help us to recognize what God did in sending His Son, Jesus. It says, For He grew up before Him like a young plant. This is speaking of Jesus, like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at Him, and no beauty that we should desire Him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And as from one who men hide their faces, he was despised. Look at this. And we 
esteemed him not. One of the things that God did in sending his son Jesus was he sent the most ordinary of ordinary looking people. The Bible's clear that says the Jesus that came to earth is probably not the ones that are in the paintings, you know what I'm talking about? The perfect European sculptured Jesus. Ugh. Jesus was a Middle Eastern, by the way. He had dark skin. He wasn't white. Don't get me started. (laughs) But Jesus came, and it said he didn't have any outward form that anybody would even do a second look at him. He was so ordinary. He wasn't esteemed. He wasn't beautiful. He wasn't, like, elevated by men. And yet, it was this Jesus who was God himself became flesh. The Word incarnate among us. And we have seen his glory. Glory of the only Son begotten from the Father, full of grace and truth. But friends, his glory was not an outside-in glory. It was an inside-out glory. And the Jesus that I believe most of us today have called upon and looked upon as Savior and Lord, the Jesus we find beautiful, our all-sufficient treasure, our hope, our life. This Jesus was not, not marked by outward beauty. He wasn't splendid because of his outward appearance. He was splendid because from his true self, his true person, he was himself God. First Peter Chapter 2, verse 4 says, As you come to him, you come to a living stone who was rejected by men, but in the sight of God, chosen and precious. Do you think in the gospel that God might be trying to get your attention to help you know that the Jesus that you hold most precious was not marked by some outward majesty, but was rather marked by inward majesty? You hold him to be your everything if you have believed upon him. And yet, on the outside, he wasn't someone that you would have probably thought, oh, he's got it together. But on the inside, he is God. Do you see? Even in the gospel that you hold dear, you are holding dear this proclamation that it is not outward appearance that matters. It is what is on the inside. (laughs) Don't judge my appearances, but judge with right judgment. Why do you think Jesus told the story to people who just didn't get it in Mark chapter 12? Y'all know the story I'm talking about with the widow giving a mite, the smallest and the tiniest of little coins. Again, you can write down the references. But they're sitting there in the temple, And they're sitting opposite the treasury, the giving box, and they're watching people put money into the offering box, and many rich people come, and they, you know, you know, heaps of money, you know, just, just pour it all in. And they're giving large sums. And then this poor little widow, one of these little ladies from the Glen Mary, I picture her, their little walker. And I've had this, I believe I have met this lady in modern day even there at the Glen Mary. 
A lady came to me one time, just like this lady. We are their church because they can't get out. Our church is their church through our worship and Bible study on Mondays. She came one time with a crinkled up dollar, one dollar bill. And in private, just like this lady, I believe she gave me everything that she had. She said, this is for the church. Thank you for all you do. The lady comes and puts two small copper coins, which make a penny. And then Jesus says to them, he called his disciples and he said, truly I say to you, this poor widow has put in more than all of those who are contributing to the offering box, for they all contributed out of their abundance, but she out of her poverty has put in everything that she had, all that she had to live on. Do not judge by appearances, but judge with right judgment. You might think that this little lady is offering nothing, but in the kingdom of God, she is offering more than everyone else. Because God doesn't look at outward appearance. God looks at what? The heart. But oh, how we need to learn this lesson. There's a reason that Jesus called his disciples over to understand it. He repeats this in James chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. James, the brother of Jesus, says what he learned. He's repeating out of what he has learned from Jesus. My brothers, show no partiality as you hold the faith in our Lord Jesus Christ, the Lord of glory. So in other words, if you are in love with Jesus not because of his outward appearance, but because of who he really is, then as you live your life with others, love them not because of their outward appearance, but because of who they really are on the inside. For if a man wearing a gold ring and fine clothing comes into your assembly, and then a poor man in shabby clothing also comes in, and if you pay attention to the one who wears the fine clothing and say, oh, you sit here in a good place, while you say to the poor man, you, you stand over there. Or, sit down at my feet. Have you not then made distinctions among yourselves and become judges with evil thoughts? Listen, my beloved brothers. Has not God chosen those who are poor in the world to be rich in faith and the heirs of the kingdom with which he has promised to those who love him? Literally this morning, you guys, I almost thought about bringing in some people and dressing them up in not-so-great clothes and making them smell in not-so-great ways and asking them to act in disturbing ways, and then I couldn't figure out who to do that without y'all knowing who they were. But I thought this morning, I wonder if we are a people who would treat people not on the basis of what they look like, what they seem to be acting like, or what they would smell like, or what they're wearing, or what they drove in on, but rather would treat people without partiality on the basis of the heart. Are we a people who judge according to the evil thoughts of sinful man, according to the outward appearance, or are we people who truly are so in love with Jesus and his judgment of us, not based on our outward appearance, but on our heart, 
Are we so in love with Jesus that truly in the way that we live with others, we show no partiality? God wants us to treat people on the basis of of the heart. I just got to say, all of us, all of us have, I think y'all know it, we all have biases. I'm looking for a a particular page. Y'all going to get unscripted Barrett, all right, here we go. I didn't really have notes this morning anyway, but this is one part I wanted to have notes because I didn't want to mess it up. And for some reason, God just took away my notes. So I'm going to trust you, Lord. We all have wicked biases. There's a lot of talk right now, a lot of awareness coming in our day about the fact that we have biases and we have to work each one of us to challenge them. We have to. I, it is, nobody in this room is better than anybody else. Everybody has a bias toward some group or another group. Whether it's making judgments about people based on their race because they're black, then you make assumption. X, Y, or Z. I've heard my black friends talk about white people they see when they walk down the aisle at a store will go to another aisle or the black man comes down the street and they'll lock their door in their car. Ought not be so among the people of God. We don't judge according to skin color. We judge according to the content of a person's character. This was MLK's dream that one day his children would not grow up in a place where they're judged by the color of their skin, but rather by the content of their character. This is not a social justice moment for me as a pastor. This is a gospel moment. We ought not judge. And the same is true. You could have assumptions about white people or Indian people or Asian people, Pacific Islander people that we hear in the news today. Discrimination is real on the basis of outward appearance, friends. And as gospel people, it ought not be so with us. We ought to be the people who lead the way in saying enough is enough. We don't judge on the basis of outward appearance. We see not as man sees. God sees the heart, and we choose to as well. It's kind of quiet right now. This could be true of, you could have bias against rich people or bias against poor people. You could have bias against tattooed people. You could have bias against fat people or skinny people. You could have bias against educated people or non-educated people. You could have bias against them if you find out they vote in a certain political party. It could cause you to change the way you think. Or if you find out they live in Harbor Town, or if you find out they live in Orange Mound, you can, as a sinful person, end up in a place where you make judgments about people on all kinds of stuff that in the end matters nothing to God. What matters to God is the heart. And what ought to matter to us is the heart. And we have to work as the people of God, 
to love God with all of our heart and to love who he is and how he sees and from our love for how he sees us and others begin to love as he has loved us. We got to be people who lead the way to judge not as others might judge on outward appearance, but to judge on the basis of the heart. Now, I wonder what area of repentance is needed in your life. I know mine. You got your biases. What are they? And are you willing this morning to repent of them, to actually see them as not of God? Are you willing to do the hard work when you, when you find yourself in moments where you're judging people according to X, Y, or Z, to repent of that, not to excuse it, not to say, well, statistically, that might be true of this group of people. I don't care. It might be true of this group of people, but it may not be true for this one. And we are never to identify other individuals by a group that they're a part of. We are to see each one for who they are on the basis of the heart. So rather than excuse it or defend it or rationalize it, we've got to repent of it and come to God and say, forgive me, give me your eyes to see as you see. I don't want to see as men see. I want to see according to your heart. Amen? Job 10.4, have you eyes of flesh? Do you see as man sees? I tell you, if you want to pray a prayer, if you want to pray a prayer and grow in this area, here's the prayer to pray. Acts chapter 1, verse 24. And they prayed and they said, You, Lord, know the hearts of all. Show which one of these two you have chosen. Now, this is a particular context, but you can pray this prayer in a general sense as you encounter any person, as you go through any moment of the day. God, would you show me their heart? You can just pray that prayer. God, I don't want to look at them according to their outward appearance. Would you show me their heart? And I, be, I believe if you begin to pray that prayer, God will answer it, and he will begin or continue in a radical way his work of restoration in you that you would see as he sees. Well, last, by the way, I, there's, this shelf is up here this morning. Y'all see this? It was up here this morning because there's two pieces of pottery that are here. And I don't know if y'all been looking at them throughout the day, but maybe you have, maybe you haven't. It's interesting because if these were on the shelf, I know which one I would buy. Y'all know which one you would buy? I'd buy this one, because I'm looking at this one going, eh, no offense to the artist, but could have done a little something more with that, you know what I'm saying? Not, not the coolest piece of pottery on the block. You know what I'm saying? Maybe Beginners 101, and uh, God bless them, they tried. Until you realize that it's not just what you see on the shelf. Because if you take the one that I would have chosen, which would have been this one, and you look at it on the inside, it is quite boring. But if you take this one, which from the shelf looked boring, and you look at it on the inside, it is quite beautiful. In fact, much more beautiful than this. If you take an evaluation of what's on the inside and not that 
just which simply is on the outside, you will estimate these pottery pieces' value more correctly. This piece is much more valuable than this piece. And it has nothing to do with the way that it looks on the outside, but all to do with the way that it looks within. And I pray that as you approach people in life, you recognize that the way it looks on the outside is not always the way that it looks within. And estimate value in the way that God does by looking at the heart. Well, I close this morning by talking about, I guess I could close where I am, but I don't want to overlook the fact that I can keep you here a little longer. (laughs) I love y'all. I'm so glad you love me. But more than that, I don't want to overlook probably an unnoticed but needed point of application. And that is that the way we see, not only should it affect the way we relate with others, but it should affect the way that we see what? Ourselves. With ourselves, just quite simply, I'll say this. We've got to live for God's approval, not man's. David is going to, he's anointed by Samuel to be the next king. David ain't the guy. I mean, he's not the guy that people would have chosen. If it, I mean, his daddy is like, here are my boys. And Samuel's like, is that all of them? He's like, oh, well, David's out in the field with the shepherds. I mean, he's like, it's like an oversight. <laughs> Poor David. And if you're David, you could be dealing with some insecurity there, right? Or if you're Saul, because you're tall and handsome, loved by men, you could be dealing with some over-self-confidence there, right? If it's all on the basis of outside and not on the basis of the heart, we've got to be careful. Luke 16, 15, Jesus said, You're those who justify yourselves before men, but God knows your heart. What is exalted among men is an abomination in the sight of God. In other words, friends, if there's anything that you want to do in terms of seeking justification before people, and justification is this, like, you're good. Like, if you're looking for that sense of, I'm good, I'm good, I'm approved, I'm in good standing, I'm cool, you got two choices of where to get that feeling. You're going to get it by other people going, you're good, you're cool, you're awesome, you're approved, or are you going to get it from God? You're going to shop horizontally or you're going to shop vertically? And Jesus says, be very careful because what people will approve of horizontally is often the very opposite of the things that God approves of. You can find approval and acceptance by other people and yet miss it completely with God. So if you're going to shop for approval, you've got to shop for it, not horizontally, but where? Vertically. Matthew 23, Jesus goes after the religious people. I mean, he's going after them. Verses 5 and 6, he says, they do their deeds to be seen by others. They make their phylacteries broad and their fringes long, and they love the place of honor at feast and the best seats in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplaces and be called rabbi by others. They do what they do to be seen by other people. Friend, oh friend, what a temptation we have to even be here this morning so that other people could see you. God ain't impressed 
by your good clothes. He's not impressed by your church attendance. He's not impressed by, quote-unquote, good behavior for others or your acceptance with other people. In the end, you're not going to get to heaven and, and, and God call your friends around and go, what did y'all think about him? It's not the way it's going to work. God looks upon your heart. Be careful. Jesus is going after me saying, look, they're, they're doing everything they do for other people. In verses 23 and 24 of the same chapter, he says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees! You tithe mint and dill and cumin, but you've neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. In other words, you've got the outside put together, but you're missing the heart. What matters is the heart, not the outside. If you get the heart right, the outside will come. And he goes on in verses 25 and 26, and he says, Woe to you hypocrites. You, this word is play actors. You clean, look at this, the outside of the cup and the plate, but on the inside, you're full of greed and self-indulgence. First clean, what? The inside of the plate, and then the outside may be clean. Friends, what he's saying is, with your own personal walk with God in your own choice in daily life. If there's anything that you prioritize, listen, who cares what other people think about you? You're never going to get security from that. The only security that can come is when you know you're right with God, and God's not looking at what other people think about you. God's looking upon your heart. So if you get your heart right with God and you keep your heart right with God on a daily basis, if you focus on the inside, the outside will come. Let your heart be a heart for God. Only God can satisfy your heart. Only God can secure your heart. Only God can give significance to your heart. God is the one. God is the one that your heart was made for. Give your heart to God. Live from the true substance of godliness and not the form. 2 Timothy 3, 5 says, you can have the appearance of godliness, but not the power. And friends, if there's anything that we got to do, if there's anything that we got to do, is we've got to have the true substance of what it means to have godliness. God's not impressed by play acting because he sees your heart. So if there's anything you need to do is keep your heart with God. Proverbs 16, 2 says, all the ways of man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirit. In other places in Proverbs 31, verse 30, it says, charm is deceitful and beauty is in vain, but a woman, and you could add a man, but who fears the Lord is to be praised. In other words, if there's anything that you focus on, let it not be your makeup, let it not be your beauty in the eyes of others, but let it be beauty that God places upon you because in your heart you're seeking him. This is the kind of man that God chose to be the king of Israel. as a man after God's heart. That's what the scripture says about David. And this is what it looks like to know the choice of God is to seek him from your heart. 1 Peter 3, verse 4. Let your adorning be the hidden person of the heart with the imperishable beauty of a gentle and quiet spirit which in God's sight is very precious. As we close this morning, I just want to urge you to Jesus. I want to urge you toward Jesus. Because, you know, as our worship team comes and we transition to a close, I, I, just, want to, I just want to tell you, that, you know, 
in today's day, I think a lot of people are wondering, you know, how it is that we ought to live. And I, I just got to tell you, the gospel message is incredibly relevant for us right now today. Because the gospel speaks to us. What we, I believe, sense to be true is that what really matters is not the, the outside stuff, but really matters is the heart. And the question remains, at the end of a sermon like today, when we're talking about operating according, not as man sees, but as God sees, operating like that with other people, operating like that even as we view ourselves. And the question is, how can I operate like that? How can I really live from my heart and, and not see as others see, but see as God sees? Here's how. You've got to come into a relationship with Jesus Christ. Only Jesus can give you a new heart. All of our hearts are dead because of sin, transgression against God, turning away from Him, rejecting Him. All of us, all of us operate according to the flesh, according to outward appearance, until we come to a point in our lives where we decide that I am, I am helpless without a Savior. Where I am broken and I am needy and I am fleshly and I am sinful and I am judgmental and I am approval seeking from men. And we come to a point where we go, I need a Savior. And then when we recognize that God loves us, even though He could have left us on our own and been separated from us because of our choosing to be separate from Him, He still loves us and He pursues us and He's made a way for us to come back to Him. He's made a way for us to be made new, for us to have a new heart placed into us. And He's done it in Jesus Christ. Jesus came and He lived that we might have righteousness and He died that all of our, our judgmentalism and our self-approvalism, so to speak, all of our, oh, all of our sin might be put to death on the cross. And he paid the penalty in full. And he put your sin to death so that you might be forgiven and cleansed and made new. And he went to the grave with it. And after three days, he rose again and he lives today. And he gives new life. He can restore you into relationship with God as you believe on Him. He is mighty to save. He is mighty to save. And today can be the day that you call out to Jesus and say, I'm broken and I need you. I don't want to keep living from the outside. I want to be new on the inside. And today, He can make you new. So call out to Jesus. If that's you today, repent and believe and receive new life. Let Him restore you. If you're already in relationship with Jesus, the process happens again and again where we repent and we believe. So today, let your prayer be, oh God, would you help me to see as you see, not on the outside, but help me to see the heart, heart of others and my own heart. Help me, God, to live, live from my heart and live for your heart.